what we think about who we are informs and influences every other part of our existence. <clears throat> so check this out. Is it up there? Okay. So as a believer in Christ, we believe that our spirit comes alive when we're connected with our creator. And when we're correct, connected with our creator and he gives our spirit life, then our spirit then informs or gives life to our mind, right? He gives knowledge and wisdom and discernment to our mind. And then our mind tells our will, hey, this is how you can flourish. This is what you need to do. And then our will tells our body, you're going to do this. And then eventually our emotions follow. And, and I say that because, you know, our emotions are pretty stubborn, right? But if we're consistent, then our emotions will eventually follow. The point is, is that our spirit is over our soul. It should be over our soul. So today we're going to spend some time talking about identity. Where does our identity come from? And how do we discover it? So let's pray because I really, really need it. Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now and we just say yes to you. Yes to you. Help us to turn our eyes to you right now. Help us to focus on you and see what you have to say because that's really all that matters. We love you, Lord. I pray that you would have your way and that you'd speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. How would you describe to someone who you are? I mean, how do you even discover really who you are? I mean, really who you are? That's a big question right now, right? Uh, often we distinguish ourselves by our physical traits or our personality or uh, our character. Uh, for instance, uh, the TV was on the other day and I was not really paying much attention, but I heard this thing, I was like, what? And I had to reverse it, and like, what did she just say? And this lady on the commercial, uh, she said, my hair has always been central to my identity. <laughs> I'm like, your hair? Well, I guess I can kind of see that. If, if you have beautiful hair and people all your life have told you how beautiful your hair is, right? Then you grow up thinking, hmm, I got beautiful hair. This is, this is part of who I am. Or maybe you think more about your personality. I'm the funny one or I'm the smart one. Or maybe it's more what you do. I've been an engineer for 40 years, so that's who I am. I'm an engineer. Or I'm a student. Or I'm a mom. You take on that identity of, of what you do. I've spent the last couple of week, weeks thinking about questions like, what, what are people thinking about? when they are thinking, who am I? What's my purpose? And so I'm gonna ask a lot of questions today. If you just follow, follow me along, that'd be great. The trouble with these things that I just mentioned identifying you is that they can change. I mean, you can lose your hair. Just ask my husband, he knows. It's sad, really. But, Sometimes people don't think you're funny anymore. Oh, 
and that's really sad to me. Uh, you can lose your job. You retire. I've heard people say, you know what? I don't even know who I am anymore. I've done this for 50 years, and now I'm not doing it anymore. It's a thing, right? I mean, yesterday, just yesterday, I was sitting out on the lawn here having lunch, and this lady was telling me she was, she's a mom of seven kids and how wonderful that is. And I, yeah, I did say, whoo. But um, I thought four was a lot. And she just loves being a mom. But all of a sudden, she began to cry because she said, my kids are growing up and they're leaving. And she doesn't want them to leave. And I thought, wow, you've made being a mom your identity. But see, that changes. So is identity supposed to be elusive? Is it something that changes? Like, well, 10 years ago, I was this. But now, now I'm identifying this. This is me. This is who I am. Is that biblical? What does the Bible say about that? Sometimes we define ourselves by what other people say. Right? And unfortunately, a lot of times that is very hurtful. And what they say, if they say it often enough, we hear it enough, then we start to believe it. And if it's a hurtful thing, then you start to say to yourself, I'm a loser, I'm clumsy, I'm slow, I'm stupid, I'm not worthy. And even when the words aren't spoken, if something happens to you, then you start to hear those words, I'm not loved, I'm not wanted, I'm not worthy. And that's usually because someone that we love has abandoned us or rejected us. Rejection and abandonment, that's no joke. Like that, those kind of things can leave deep scars on your soul. Many of us know that. I know that. So if identity is based on what other people think about you, that's what we call social identity. Um, and, and there's a thing called social identity theory. It was written by a couple of psychologists, Henry uh, Tyfell and John Turner. I did a little bit of research for you. We won't spend much time on this, but social identity is the self that is shown to other people. It's the part of ourselves that we use to create an impression, impression to let other people know who we are and what they observe. So that is pretty common. And I know everybody just thought about their social media, right? And that is true. That's really how we do that uh, big time now as we put our pictures up or our stories or what we're thinking about and we put that out there for people this is this is what I want you to see about me I don't want you to see this so I'm not gonna put that up there but I'm gonna put all this other thing up there and even before social media that's what we did right and that's what we do we put our what we call our best foot forward right and we show people what we want them to see and everybody does that. So when I'm putting out there what I want you to see, and you're putting out what you want me to see, 
And then I go, oh, I see some of the same things with me. And so then we naturally gravitate towards people that we're like. You set, I can even see it, you set with some of the same age group, right? You gather around some of the same people who are social, social or economic, um, same status. Uh, hobbies, you gravitate towards people with the same hobbies. Hey, if we're out in the lobby and somebody's talking about pickleball, I'm there. I'm gonna be saddled up right next to you. We're gonna talk about some pickleball because I love, I'm addicted to pickleball now, sorry. Um, so, but that's what we do. And the thing is, identity of something or someone can only be assessed by comparing them to similar identities. We don't know who we are outside of the context of who we're like. So then the question, who are you, really becomes who am I like? Who am I like? So the big question then begins to be, who do I identify with? Boy, we hear that a lot lately, don't we? You know, it's okay. It's actually a pretty good question. Who do I identify with? So that's what we're going to talk a little bit about because it's, it's not just a current question, you guys. This is an age-old question. People forever have been trying to figure out who am I, why am I here, what's my purpose? We're really part of a bigger story, aren't we? We're part of God's story. So let's take a look at what the Bible says. Let's take a look at his story at the beginning of the human story. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26. Then God said, let us make human, mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God said that he made us in his image, in his likeness. So, since identity is discovered only by looking at similar identities, who should we look at to see who we are? God, because we're made in his image. Question is, well then, okay. Then who is, you see I'm a very linear think, thinker, right? I just go to the next thing. Okay, well, so if we're like God, then who is God? And what does he say about me? Did you know that God thinks a lot about you? He thinks a lot about you. In fact, he has some very strong feelings about you. You, I'm talking about you. God sees you. He has always seen you. Let's look at Psalm 139, starting with verse 13. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. 
You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had even passed. How precious are your thoughts about me. Oh God, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. Oh my word, y'all. We should be jumping up at that. This is not just about the author of Psalm 139. This is about you. God saw you in your mother's womb. Before your mom ever knew you were even there, God knew you were there. And this is for somebody, I'm convinced. This is for somebody today. Even if your mom didn't want you, you were told you were a surprise. You were an oops. You were not. (laughs) You were not because God created you. When I read this scripture, I get this picture of God pulling up a stool and he sits down and he's just leaning forward with great delight because he's watching you being formed. He's getting his hands dirty and he is knitting you in your mother's womb because he is thrilled. It says that he's looking at every day that you are going to be alive on this earth. He sees every single day as if he's remembering it. He's remembering the future. You know why? Because time does not hold God. He can look at the future and remember it as if it already happened. He sees you. That's wonderful. And he thinks about you often. Not only does God see you, He loves you. God loves you. Now, when you were in the womb, had you done anything good? You didn't even know you were there. Right? You certainly hadn't done anything bad, but you didn't do anything good, and yet he loved you. He loves you now, despite what you've done or you haven't done, because he's your creator He is your creator, and he is thrilled with you. Look at 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Wow, talk about identity. Children of God. God sees you, God loves you, and he desires to have a relationship with you. Like Pastor Ross says, he sees everything about you and he loves you anyway. And he wants to have relationship with you. 1 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Repentance is a great word. It's a positive word. It just simply means you're going one direction and now you're going this way. It means God sees you and now you see him, right? It's saying, I'm going to line up with him. I'm going to line up with him. God sees you. He loves you. And more, he wants relationship with you. He's chasing after you. He wants 
to know you intimately. He wants you to know him intimately. Oh, listen, our creator could tell us a lot about who we are if we just listen. But mankind is too busy, too busy talking about self-esteem. If you could just raise your self-esteem, then everything would be better. Oh, listen, you can be self-made. You don't really need anybody. You can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and be self-made. And you know what? You don't need professionals. You don't need anybody else. You just need self-help books. There's a million of them out there. You can help yourself. Just believe in yourself. That's right. That's the ticket. Believe in yourself and love yourself. Because if you just love yourself, then everything will be good and fall into place. Now, there's certainly some truth in every one of those things, right? But what's the common denominator of every one of those things? Self. Now, are you big enough for the whole world to revolve around you? <laughs> no. No, we're not. It's really about God. It's not about us. So let's recap a little bit. We talked about our social identity. Our social identity is what I do makes me who I am. It's temporary and it might be false. That's not so good. But our spiritual identity, God makes me who I am. It's eternal because he's eternal. And it's the truth because he is truth. That's a better deal. That's what I want. So how do I tap into that? How do you tap into that? How do you help someone else tap into that? What do we do? That's what we always want to know. What do we do? What do we do? Well, it's simple. He tells you. Listen. Let him tell you. Listen, he already sees you. He already loves you. He already wants a relationship with you. Now he's just waiting for you to respond. So how are we going to respond? We believe. We believe and we receive what he has for us. Ephesians 1.13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, nobody could ever call me a theologian, but I did a little bit of research, and from what little I know, right, the Greek and the Hebrew words, they mean so much more than what one of our English words means. So you can take one of those words, and we have to have so many different English words. So just to say, when you believe, that does not suffice. Because we could say, yeah, I believe that God exists, or I believe that this happens. But that's not what that word really means. What that word really means is that you've been entrusted with faith. You've been fully persuaded. You are trusting in it. You have faith in it. You know what? I'm all in. I am all for this. That's what believe means. And then when we do that, because he's waiting eagerly for us, 
patiently. And then when we make that decision to believe, it says that he seals us. Well, let's take a look at that word. He seals us with the Holy Spirit. That's he seals, he claims us. Are you listening? You ready? Yes. He identifies us. Boom. He identifies us as his child. He gives you identity at that moment. Your spirit comes alive at that moment. It's like a signet ring on a king. It's the one and only signet ring. And when that king takes that signet ring and puts it in that hot wax, everybody goes, oh, that's the king's. He is approving of that. He, he, is, he has identified this as his. And that's what God does for you and for me when we place our faith in him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So that's where the receive comes in. It's not anything that we can do. We naturally want to do something, right? We, we want to do something to get that. That's what we're taught. You've got to work hard, you know. You've got to... Uh, to be something, you gotta, you got to work hard at it. But this is something totally different. You can't. You didn't do anything in the womb. God just loved you because he loves you because he loves you. And to flourish spiritually, we have to let go of the identity that we've created. And many of us, we've believed for a long time. We've walked with the Lord. But we, we're also kind of hanging on to some things that we've created as, as ours or who we are. And we have to let go of that to receive. You, you, you can't, I can't, if I'm, if I'm hanging on to something, I can't, I can't pick this up. I can't receive it because my hands are full. I just messed my whole thing up here. <laughs> um, that's why we often talk about, I mean, probably every Sunday, open your hands up, right? Let's just receive. It's a symbolism of, I've got nothing to offer. And I don't want to hang on to anything but you. Nothing but you, Lord. So I'm waiting and I'm receiving. Because I could stand up here, y'all. I could talk for a long time probably to try to convince or try to reason or whatever. But that's not the point. Because it's, it's a revelation that God gives you. I've had that revelation. Many of us have had that revelation. And sometimes, though, we got to keep walking in that revelation. We got to keep letting go of things that cling to us or we pick up along the way. I think the biggest lie that Satan tells us is I can do it better. I, I can do that better. Just let me try. And then if I can't, I'll come back to you, God. Wow. That's what he told Adam and Eve. Did God really say, you can do it better? Well, we saw how that turned out. 
and we see how it turns out for us every day. You know, Kim, Tim Keller was a, a famous theologian and author, and he said, Christianity is the only religion where identity is received and not achieved. He's right. If you look at any other religion, it's a lot of doing. It's a lot of doing. I can't do it. The word says that no one is good. No, not one. But you know what? Make no mistake. If you do know him, if you have received him, then your desires change. And you want to obey. You want to obey because you trust him. You love him. You're so grateful. And you're like, what? What is it? I trust you. If that's how I'm going to flourish, then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that whether my emotions are agreeing or not. That's the last thing. The first thing is I'm going to agree with you. So obey. James 2, starting with verse 17, says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. That's good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's pretty scary because I've heard people say, well, I'm not an atheist, I believe there's a God. That's good. Did you know even the demons believe that? I mean, they know that there's a God better than any of us. But they haven't placed their faith in him. They haven't repented like we have the opportunity to do. You know, when we, when we put our faith into action, it goes from our head down to our heart. Sometimes putting your faith into action is is what's in between your faith and your heart. Would it, you know what that is? Your mouth? Your mouth? In Revelation, it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We have to speak it out. When we speak it out, it gets down to our heart. It also gets to someone else's heart. That's important. Action moves knowledge to conviction. You act on that knowledge that you have, it's going to get in your bones. It's going to get in your heart. And we have to continue that action in order to remember our identity. It's not just what you did a long time ago. It's what you're doing. It's what God is doing in you continuously. We have to know the scriptures. The scriptures tell us who we are. We have to worship. Great timing, y'all. And you know what I love about worship? Is worship is when we're like telling God who he is. Oh, I love you, God. You're so awesome. You're so wonderful. You're so magnificent. And it just strikes me. We can't outgive God. So when we give him worship, he goes, oh, I love it. Now let me tell you who you are. You are my child. You are precious to me. You're the apple of my eye. You're more than a conqueror. You can do anything through me. 
goes on and on and on. We're going to have baptism, like Pastor Ross says today. It's going to be awesome, and I'm so thrilled for everyone that's getting baptized. But they're not getting baptized in order to go to heaven. They're not getting baptized in order to gain identity from God. No, they've already done that. They've already received their identity. They've already received their salvation from God. What they're doing is they're obeying. They want to show everybody else because they're so grateful. God has said, welcome to the family. And they're saying, thank you. Now I'm going to start acting like it. I'm going to obey. I'm going to be part of the family. Remember what we said at the beginning. What we think about who we are informs and influences every other part of our existence. So our spirit, when we're connected with our creator, becomes alive. And he feeds our spirit life. And then our spirit tells our soul. It tells our soul, our mind, what life is what righteousness is, who we are. And then our mind says to our will, that's right, this is what we ought to do. And then our will tells our body, do it. (laughs) And when we do it and we're consistent, our emotions will follow. I want to help you out. Um in knowing who you are. Did you guys see this on your seat? When you came in, look around, find one of these. Um, if, you're, if you're watching from home or, or you're following along on the version, uh, this is also in the notes, in the version notes. And it's certainly not exhaustive of who you are in Christ, but it is a great beginning. I just really wanna encourage you, take it home. Read through it, pray it, meditate on it, receive it. Because you are more than a conqueror. You are created in his image. You are an agent of change for good. You are beloved. You are who God says you are. But you got to know who he says, what he says. I want to give you an opportunity now. Go ahead. I want to give you an opportunity to receive. So we're going to open our hands up. Y'all know the routine. (laughs) If you will, let's receive from the Lord. Let's just remain seated. Let's just close our eyes. Let's just open our hands. Enough of me. What is God saying? As we worship it's the band plays. Can you just, let's just ask the Lord. Lord, who do you say I am? <laughs>